The following podcast is presented in audio format only. Therefore, viewer discretion is strongly advised. Welcome to Unhinged, the podcast that will have you going mental as we talk about life and all its twists and turns. With your hosts, the guys from the Blue Room. Yes, Doug and Ed. And now, Doug and Ed. Hey, how's it going? Okay, you? Well, you know, we had a show, our first show uh, last week. and Yes, to critical acclaim. To critical acclaim, yes. We both liked it. Yes, and so did my dog. Yes, you don't have a dog. And I don't have it. Exactly. So anyway, um, so the last time we talked about uh, the basic setup uh, of our show, uh, we're talking about mental health, um, mental illness, and we, we basically just... Uh, we wrapped. We wrapped. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't get into any details, really. Um, that's what today's show is for. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, your struggles with uh, mental illness uh, and how that's affected you uh, being a 47-year-old. It's going to be in a few months, yes. Yes. And you've been struggling Although, with this the majority of your life. Yes. Yes. But we, we, we talked about, obviously, us uh, starting and how we met and from college, but we did obviously uh, hit certain points where it was inevitable that uh, mental illness was going to come up because it's obviously going to be pervasive throughout everything we talk about uh, and how we've related to it and how we've maintained our friendship through a lot of very tough times yep. Um, yep. and uh, other things associated with it that I have to deal with. Both of us have to deal with things, but Things that I have to do with guilt and uh, right. and all that kind of well, stuff. and and just the the mere fact that I didn't even realize you had a uh, any sort of mental health issues uh, until well into our friendship. Uh, yeah, there's good reasons for that, and part of that we talked about with with uh, learned behaviors as a child and and so forth, and and you basically it's survival mode. You just you know you're different. You don't know why, yep. but you and you adapt in different ways than other people do. So you put on a mask, and you just want people to like you, so uh, you hide it. Many people have hid it very well, and probably the famous example, the most famous example is Robin Williams. Right. And right. We know, uh, had no idea. Fame. I had no idea that he had uh, mental illness at all. Same as you didn't know I did. Exactly. And if we weren't so close, you would just think I was a funny guy, and that's it. Yep. And it's tra- tragic for many stand-up comedians, ironically enough. So it runs rampant in the uh, in comedy circles, is what you're saying? Well, it, it just happens to be a natural, uh, especially when you, uh, a person who've, who's gotten very heavy into the disease, very depressed, you know, not a mild form. Uh, you become, you know, you uh, become very negative, and then you become you 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 fail at things, or you just seem can't seem to do it because the depression right. is too is too overwhelming and then you have regrets and that comes anger issues and and at this point in my life there's just intense rage and anger and everything begins the comedy begins to be very cynical right uh but but that ends up quite often 
the funniest stuff. Yeah, that's it's it's interesting that uh, comedy is uh, can be used as um, like a, like they say, you know, laughter is the best medicine. So comedy is therapeutic, uh, and and this kind of shows that it it in more ways than one. Like your depression could actually, uh, in some ways, can make you a funnier person. Uh, because of the masks you put up, because of you essentially training yourself to be normal on the outside, but not feeling at all normal on the inside. There's so many things that cause that dynamic, really. Um, a lot of it could be, you know, getting no self-approval growing up, mm-hmm. and you need that immediate self-approval from people, and you right. get that with the laughter. Um, and that's just like a drug, I'm sure. Uh, I've yet to be brave enough even to try to go on a open mic night stage. Even I've looked it up many times. Uh, <laughs> that would be as, cool. Yes, and a comorbid condition of my issue, uh, which we'll get into, uh, is ADD, ADHD to some. Uh, but you know, I, I read all about it, I learn all about it, but I never actually do it. You know, but yeah. I'm sure it's as much of a rush as a drug as. Most people with the condition that I have uh, self-medicate, and that becomes a comorbid condition where uh, in order to really heal that for people with like, like TV shows like Intervention, you know, where, where drugs is the first problem and mm-hmm. depression is a product of drugs, then they go into a dual diagnosis facility where they deal with your drugs and they detox you, but they also deal with your mental health issues. Well. Um, in my condition, it's the opposite, where the depression is so bad, you must self-medicate. So I'm sure it's just as good as it's a drug for them. So that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting because I never really thought about it that way, that they're looking for, you know, comedians are looking for uh, people to laugh at their jokes and, and to approve what they're doing. Uh, and it gives them that boost. You know, they, yeah. they love the crowd. They love the – and I guess it's true with any arts Anything where you put something out there that you do, that you make for yeah. people well, to I, see, like a musician. Yeah, and, or, and it's really a lot of it, too, has to do with, um, I believe, this is kind of my own, and I'm sure it's not, uh, it's been talked about before, you know, but at least with the, nothing that is specifically read, just coming from me, is that uh, we all crave, especially those with ADD. And children, even with Asperger's and autism and these types of related illnesses, but with the depression also, but we crave stimuli. Yeah. Uh, that's why what I have in me is, is, we'll talk about later, deep brain stimulation. It's, it's stimulation. We crave stimulation. We get bored really easily. So like yeah. the idea of, of Las Vegas and those lights, and uh, you know, even though it's a city about all about money, which is mm-hmm. the opposite of my belief system, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's incredible. I I remember so vividly the couple of times I went to Las Vegas, and it's just it's magic for me. Yeah, you know, or uh, going to a concert. But is it is know? it like is it like uh, other drugs where you? you get the high, you feel really good, but then you crash and you feel lower because you don't have it anymore. Like the next day. Oh yeah. I mean like, you know, when I went to, to see the Chicago concert, uh, mm-hmm. you, you, you know what they're, they are for me. Yes. That group. And, uh, so when I'm very depressed, if I list, if I hear Chicago in the background, I mean, I, I just 
will cry from the deepest depths, the, the most horrible, you know, yeah. and that's evil a, cry and that hurts badly. That's amazing but, but, because it's, it's, it's a band you love well, and but you had I, one of the most magical nights going to see them. Because it, when, when it's not at the severe level. When it's at the severe level, it has the opposite effect. Right. When it, when I'm at a good level, which has been rare, but it's happened and it did happen on that night, it's like, uh, you know, the ultimate orgasm or mm -hmm. just the greatest acid trip you could ever imagine. You know, um, uh, so uh, you know, I don't react like the regular humor. Was, yeah, it was a very good concert. I was really, I, we had a great time. You know, for me, it's like either orgasmic or it's it's just tragedy. That's that's interesting. We'll we'll delve deeper into that uh, a little later, um, but yeah. I wanna I wanna move on to um, since we were talking about people seeking approval, um, it, it got me thinking about uh, narcissism because that's that's one of those things that uh, you you want to be the center of attention. And what a perfect segue! Who needs attention more than anyone? Donald Trump. Donald Trump? <laughs> yes. The <laughs> Donald. Yes. Today, in our news segment, we'll be discussing an article that came out in Psychology Today uh, titled, Does Donald Trump Have Narcissistic Personality Disorder? See, number one, that's a dumb question. And number two, it's coming from Psychology Today. So is that really rhetorical? <laughs> uh, because I don't think we have to answer that. Well, I think we all know the answer to that, but yeah, we can, yeah. I want I want to explain the difference between a narcissist and someone with narcissistic personality disorder. Mm -hmm. uh, and and they go go into this in the article. Um, they say, "Here's a quote: Narcissism is often interpreted in popular culture as a person who's in love with him or herself. We think of narcissist as someone who thinks he or she is overly important." pompous and overblown so far it sounds like we're talking about donald trump doesn't it, it so far it's exactly yeah i thought it was about him but it's it's actually a psychology today article well but the the thing is that's you know you've we've all known people like this who it's all about them uh they don't listen when they're talking with other people because what they say doesn't matter it's only what the person says that matters so um but th that's just someone who's narcissistic. But someone with well, this gives this gives psychology today. I imagine a forum in which to discuss about this particular illness and topic. Donald Trump being a good current uh, person to put a face on it, but really to extrapolate exactly uh, is he or isn't he? You'd have to know how his childhood was and how those form behaviors. Oh, were sure. First. Because I mean, he could have became. I mean, you give anybody tons of money and tons of fame, and especially in a quick. I mean, look at Justin Bieber. Mm -hmm. You know, it just they are going to be a product of Hollywood, and and I mean that in a he's, bad way. He's I mean, Canadian. Charlie, you, what's that? He's Canadian. Well, Hollywood in general, you know, fame. <laughs> you know, yes. Uh, and, and you. It's inevitable for a human to get a big head. There are very few, and far between, that don't let it get to them. It's 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 very human nature to fall into that trap. Right, but I think, uh, and, and like you said, we 
I don't think we can make a diagnosis saying Donald Trump has narcissistic personality disorder uh, without being his doctor, obviously. Well, you can make a good guess uh, of at least what his, uh, how he really will be um, as far as this issue goes and, and how they affect the American people because, yeah. you know, he's, money is power and he's had uh, a lot of money. I mean, right now he's worth over $8 billion. It's I mean, insane. I, how could we even think of that? It's like trying to think of how many zeros in Google. You right. Know, we can't imagine that. And so, you, you know, Money is every you can get everything you want if you can get everything you want if you're two things either one you have that much money or number two you're a really hot young girl or number three you go to Alice's restaurant because you can get everything you want there. That's very good, nice <laughs> yes. reference. Uh, but let's go through the. This is from the Mayo Clinic. They list mm. uh, the criteria for narcissistic personality disorder. Let's see if it describes them. You may come across as conceited, boastful, or pretentious. Check. That's ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) You often monopolize conversations. Yeah, I'd say he does that. Uh Oh, absolutely. You may belittle or look down on people you perceive as inferior. Everyone that interviews him, I think he does that too. Well, to be fair, we are all inferior to Donald Trump. Well, I mean, that goes without saying. Right. Even though you just said it. I did just say it. Yeah. Uh, you, you may feel a sense of entitlement. He absolutely does. He, oh, well, everything has his name on it. And when you don't receive special treatment, you may become impatient or angry. And he does. He like has he been so says, angry. And he pouts. Well, and he also incites people at his rallies. Uh, That's right. He, he That's incites right. violence. Oh, I noticed that actually on the news the other day. I didn't realize how many um, speeches that he's made that were violence has broken out, uh, and you know, and he just thinks that's spicy. That's what we need, you know. And well, yeah, and he'll he, turn, he can turn anything around. He will tell his follower his his followers uh, to you know take him out, take you know take the take the guy out of the uh, the demonstration because he's annoying or whatever, and he he's he's essentially telling people yeah go ahead beat him up get him out of here i don't care it's ridiculous well one one key um part of narcissism and and is that you can never admit you're wrong so he might say something really stupid which he does very often yes and then when they challenge him with it afterwards He'll say, well, yeah, I said that, but, you know, and he'll just go on to try and explain. He'll never, you know, just, okay, and now when I was wrong. You'll never, ever, ever hear that. No. No, he and, and he, is, wrong. he has contradicted himself multiple times in public, so he'll say one he, thing He would one rather day. do that, and, and but he, he doesn't even, he, in his mind, it, he doesn't even say to himself, I know I'm going to come across as stupid, but I have to do it. You don't even think about it. It's totally subconscious. Right. You just cannot be wrong. It's a phobia. Yep. You're scared to be wrong, but it, he'll never, ne- never let you know he's scared. Right. The last thing on the Mayo Clinic's list is... You may insist on having the best of everything. For instance, the best car, athletic club, or medical care. Well, I mean, he does. (laughs) He buys it. That's when the money comes in and makes him, and the money is what makes him dangerous. Right. 
because any narcissist could be a narcissist. But if you have nothing to offer, then go be a narcissist. But you're going to be alone. The, you know? the the interesting thing though is that uh, narcissists tend to have uh, to be popular people in many in many cases. And well, uh, pe- people people f- at first uh, admire and envy their their um, not their cockiness, but their their um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, their confidence. Right. Uh, um, I guess it's, it's probably faith that I didn't remember that word because that's the one <laughs> thing you don't have. Uh, but, um, yeah, the C word, yeah, that I've right. been striving for my whole life. He, people, people gravitate towards that, you know. I mean, people even, I'm sure, when you greet Charlie Sheen on the street, uh, knowing that he's just as a druggy scumbag who's ashamed to his family and now mm-hmm. finds out he has a disease, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, um, through all of his playtime. But people on the street, I'm sure, you know, just grovel at his feet. It's so, just, so you you had mentioned uh, that he's worth eight billion, right? Um, well, I'm I'm seeing here that uh, that's questionable right now because, and that, this kind of shows how he tries to inflate his self-worth. Um, apparently just a few months ago, uh, people at Forbes spoke to, uh, 80 sources and determined that his, that Trump's current wealth is actually more around four, four and a half billion. Oh, really? Yeah. But of course, Trump says that's not true, and it's more like eight point seven billion. Is that and I can you believe it? I'm, the the one I'm repeating is what I heard from him. Of course, holding up that thing. Yeah, yeah, and I mean he's the loud one. He's the one that uh, you know everyone pay attention to me. So well, it's it's never good enough. He's going to be somebody who will always be about money and getting as much as he can. He said it. Mm-hmm. Yes, he wants to be the richest. He is the richest. He's the best. And so, who's that to run a country? Why would he give a crap about the country? Exactly. Especially the middle class and below, which he says love him. He over and over. <laughs> How could he even? Just as we can't understand or even fathom what it's like to live like him, that his butler has to deliver his newspaper to his bedroom door at exactly 8.02. If he's late, he gets fired. Yeah. You know, just as we can't understand that, there's no way he could understand what it's like at the end of the month to run out of money and have to eat peanut butter sandwiches for a week. I mean, it's not even in well, his comprehension. Yeah, he, he doesn't care. He has a lack of empathy. So... You know, he's not going to care about, uh, you know, decisions he makes that affect the little people, as he would put it. That's right. That's right. And he and you know what? Some people have been caught doing it, you know, being arrogant, just like OJ at trial. You know, we realize now how arrogant he was through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And um, this is a sports reference you might not. (laughs) <laughs> uh, not know about, but like there was a big thing. One of the biggest, most famous NBA quotes is Allen Iverson talking about how they docked him because he missed practice. And he's like, it's just practice, practice. And they counted how many times he's saying to the press, practice. And he said the word practice 14 times in his tirade, but it's like, practice? All we were talking about is practice, not the game that I go and I bleed my guts out and play my heart out. We're talking about practice and he's trying to talk his way out of that and he's just 
He's, yeah. he's he's like I'm the MVP of the best league in the world. He, so he's totally out there. He's not on earth anymore, quote yeah. unquote. Well, and it's unfortunate because the media kind of helps that along. It doesn't it doesn't hurt. It, it basically even if they're they do a, a negative piece, um, it's still you know you see Trump's face, you see speeches he's done. You you know if if you ask anyone to talk about the election in the U.S., the first words out of their mouth are going to be something about Trump because he's the one making the most noise. Yeah, but it's, it's um, we all want to be, um, you all want your 15 minutes of fame, you know? Yeah, he's well, had 60-something years of it. Exactly. You know? If somebody said, you're unbelievable every half hour for two weeks straight, you know, everyone said that to you and came up to you and wanted to take your picture and all that, you just start to be a little bit above them and more yeah. above them. More. And at this point, he, we're just all his slaves, you know, yeah. in, his mind, in his mind. Yeah, so I, I'm just, I'm hoping that uh, the United States is smarter than that and does not get him elected. Well, I know I'm crazy in many ways, quote unquote, again. But, you know, just the first time I saw him speak, years ago even, just knew, oh my God, like I just had this sour face, like I just had the worst lemon ever. Yeah. I just ate it and forgot it wasn't an apple or something, you know? It was so, just. So oh, you, you don't. Just see it. So you don't classify yourself as narcissistic uh, or having any, any sort of. Uh, anything like that uh, in mental illness, right? No, for me, the opposite. The opposite, yeah. The very opposite. The so, extreme opposite. So let's well, move the on. the opposite is the extreme opposite. <laughs> the opposite is the opposite. <laughs> if it's the opposite of the opposite, it's the same thing. That's right. Yeah. Wow, that's a double that's negative. Deep. Think, right? That's yeah, deep. That's, uh, that's heavy. <laughs> um, but... So I, I want to get into um, what your what forms of mental illness that you struggle with. Everything, um, everything. So first and foremost, gone to hell. The first. Uh, this is the first time I've ever heard this phrase uh, from you. Um, treatment resistant depression. That's what you're, you've officially been yes. diagnosed with. Treatment resistant depression, right? Yes, uh, it's it's known as a few different names, and it's already got its acronym TRD. Uh, but it's also severe intractable depression. The word intractable means pretty much very hard, if not impossible, to solve mm -hmm. uh, or to cure. In this case, um, but yeah, I've had it as long as I can remember. Uh, the definitions vary, but typically you're treatment resistant. And don't forget, this is completely different than what we would what we know as depression which is unipolar depression right U unipolar as opposed to bipolar bipolar depression you get into major de depths and severe depression but you also have manic side to it right uh, this is this is unipolar depression uh, but only about from what I've heard, it varies, but 10 to 12% of people with depression have this severe intractable depression, treatment-resistant. And the typical definition is that you've tried at least two rounds of a type of antidepressant, two full rounds, you know, waiting mm -hmm. your typical kind of four- to six-week period. And if you don't react to that, 
Um, uh, usually added on after that, you would have some form of either electric convulsive therapy, which if you remember from years back, that was getting zapped, you know, like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Although today, yes, still done and very, very popular and quite effective for depression and treatment-resistant depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, has about a 65% rate if you go through the right amount of um rounds of it, which is typically three to five rounds, um, but it's much more um, humane than we remember it from Jack Nicholson and One from so, the Cuckoo's Nest. So back uh, up a little bit. Um, yeah. So you're saying that uh, you're, you're categorized as treatment-resistant depression if you, you've tried at least two rounds of some form of drug or, or therapy to get you past it, right? So yeah, typically that, that, would, that would be two different types of antidepressants because there right. are several different types. So so does that mean most people with depression uh, can get help uh, that early, like with two, after trying two different medications, most people will, will react to something? Most people with minor to moderate depression can be, can be cured with just one, depending on what's going on. Uh, in the brain, which I mm-hmm. believe, you know, mine's neurological, and that's what makes the the disease different. My my personal, my brain for some reason does not, just does not create serotonin. Mm-hmm. For some reason, it's it's just not naturally, you know. And you see that in a PET scan, if you, uh, you know, once you see the brain and you see the red flowing in the frontal lobe, mm-hmm. where mine just has maybe a couple of dots of red, but there's just nothing there. And and yeah. serotonin is labeled the happy drug. You know, I mean, that's or those types of, uh, you know, happiness and. Uh, motivation and all kinds of things come from so your issue is more physiological than uh based on you know a terrible childhood or abuse or anything like that i think one can affect the other and vice versa but i think it originates in my case in treatment resistant depression Mm -hmm. as neurological at least they're dealing with it uh, from a neurological point of view first Mm -hmm. uh you know most psychiatrists uh, and by the way, the definition also sort of includes a round of, of therapy as well and CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, where you try and change your thoughts. Right. Uh, so that's kind of part of the definition too. Um, but And you, you've been through way more than two rounds of any sort of medication or therapy. Tell us how much. I've uh, been through every class of antidepressant, whether it be SSRI, SNRI, which some have to do with dopamine, some have to do with norepinephrine, some have to do with serotonin. They're reuptake inhibitors, and they can Google that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, there are those, there are tricyclics, and there are MAOI inhibitors that are used years ago. And if you, and typically people with treatment-resistant depression have to delve into these old drugs right. uh, that that do more. They cre- They came out with the Prozacs and the Paxils and all that uh, late, much later. And the difference between them is they just created them. They don't do quite as good of a job, but they have much less side effects. They're much more tolerable for people. And as I was saying before, people with mild to moderate depression typically can be uh, cured or balanced at least 
uh, and helped greatly by just taking a, a simple antidepressant. Sometimes in combination mm -hmm. with, with also an antipsychotic is, is involved sometimes, but it's not, uh, you can't get hung up on the verbiage. It's not literally psychosis. Right. But you, not, the, you've tried all these things and yet you are still struggling. Yeah. So for the last, I mean, uh, I would say starting medication probably after we finished college. So figure from 1991 until today, mm -hmm. uh, I've been on every single medication. So not only have I tried every class of medication, but several within that class. Right. Uh, and combination treatments thereof. There are augmented medications. You've seen them on uh, commercials. Um, Abilify. Uh, oh yeah, and there and there are several others, obviously, uh, but that's that uh, helps sort of give it a little bit of a turbo boost, uh, is what it's for really for the antidepressant. So you you take that along with your antidepressant yeah. to to help yeah. it kick in. And I've tried several several other ones that that like even as powerful as lithium to go along with it, and all kinds of combinations. But as many as you could ever, uh, you know, nobody ever topped the list of of the ones I've tried. And then, uh, after trying all the medications, you, you did something a little more radical. Yeah, I, I actually was, uh, was very suicidal at, at this point. And this was probably, uh, uh, most of this happened, uh, between 2010 and 2012. It just got to the point of, you know, uh, you know, this is kind of it. I'm running out of options here. And mm -hmm. uh, I ended up very suicidal and attempting suicide three times. Uh, you happen to be involved uh, yeah. directly, indirectly in uh, with the whole horrible uh, scene. But I ended up in the hospital, uh, in in the nervous hospital, as, uh, as uh, Sling Blade would like to say. <laughs> um, but... Uh, and ironically enough, it's funny, you know what that used to be called years ago, where I was? And it's called CAMH right now, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in the middle of Toronto, Canada. Uh, but just 20 years ago, it was called the Toronto Insane Asylum. Are you serious? It was still called I'm, that? Yeah, I don't know if it's 20 years ago, maybe 30, but but that's how times have changed. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, but yeah, when I was there, uh, it was brought to my attention, this electroconvulsive therapy where now instead of them putting a bite plate and, and, you know, being strapped down, they give your body a full muscle relaxant. Because if you're not strapped down, what used to happen years ago is because you, you're, you're, once the, uh, you, the electricity is activated, you go through a grand mal seizure, a full grand uh. mal seizure. Uh, and years ago, people would flail around and they would break bones. Wow. Um, so then they ended up strapping them down. You see how crazy it is. But uh, it's much more humane now. You get a full muscle relaxer. So the only thing they can see is that your cur your toes curl. Um, right. But you're also put out. Uh, so it's a, it's a um, local anesthetic, and you're out for about an hour or so, and you wake up with kind of a bad headache. And most people have three to five rounds of that. Uh, I had it over 30 uh, which completely, uh, not completely, but in a large way destroyed my memory. Um, Long-term memory? 
long term and short term. Yeah, uh, frankly, and it's one of the things I've had to deal with. Um, but uh, just we were just fighting because we thought yeah, maybe it was having a little effect, and it did at one point, and it has such a high success rate. And what the hell else were we going to do at that point? But I spent six months in in the mental hospital, two, three months uh, stretches. Uh, you learn and see a lot in there. My yeah. first day, just to give you a, a little bit of levity, my first day there, I remember asking them if I can go downstairs for a smoke, and they give you just one cigarette, and the guy goes down so you don't handle the lighter yourself. And, wow. But I remember going down the hallway, and this crazy-looking woman came up to me, and she said, Are you Ken? I'm Barbie. <sighs> <laughs> that was my first experience in, in the ward. Besides the uh, electroshock therapy, um, you that still didn't help. So you went even more drastic, no. and that and that was that was very disheartening, obviously, because that had a sixty-five to seventy percent success rate, um, and uh, the woman that I was working for at the, uh, an organization called the Mood Disorder Association of Ontario, which I highly recommend. Uh, it's a good resource for people to to find other resources related to mental health, and they do a lot of charitable things and raise a lot of money for mental health. Um, but the uh, director I got close with, who was very well known around Toronto, and and it was the director of this organization, nonprofit, for about ten years, and she had the same um, hideous type of depression. And was cured by electroconvulsive therapy. Mm -hmm. uh, had the typical amount of rounds, and and she got lucky. And I was figuring, all right, my luck's got to turn around here. And that's exactly when my family started to get on board with the whole thing. It took that long. It took to realize I was locked in a mental hospital getting electric shock therapy. For them to think. Oh, maybe this is something real. And you were what, 40, 43, 44 at the time? Yeah, 44, so yeah. 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 A full-grown uh, man and your family's just now, it was just then yeah. seeing it as a disease as opposed to, you know, oh, you're just being difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it's uh, it used to be when people were sad, oh, shake it off. You know, look how right. beautiful it's outside. It's much more complicated than that. When I had cancer at 35, as soon as they heard I had cancer, you know, my mother cried on the phone and every ran, everybody ran to my hospital bed. The whole family was there with presents and, you know, balloons and shit as I'm having chemo. We're going to have to beep that out. <laughs> uh, but having chemo and the whole family uh, was immediately on board. But mental illness has that stigma, and that's what we're uh, fighting. Well, we're uh, running out of time here, but um, I want to uh, just touch on um, deep brain stimulation, which is the, the, the most severe thing you've done uh, to try to help uh, your, your mental illness. Um, and I think we can save that for the next show. We can get into what deep brain stimulation is, uh, yes. how, how it's affected you. Um, there was a period of, uh, where it was working very well for you. Uh, so we'll, we'll get into that in the, in the next show. Um, and but in the meantime, uh, we're going to put up, uh, on the blog, we'll put up, um, an article about, 
uh, deep brain stimulation and the study that's going on here in Toronto and actually a, a video, a little video piece uh, they did on the news about my story uh, yeah. when I did get uh, some good news on it. But uh, but yeah, let's do that next show and, and cover deep brain simulation. It's it's the latest in technology and science and in, and in mental health and in healthcare in general. Yet still very, very highly experimental. Yes, but working for other diseases as well. Michael J. Fox had the procedure for his Parkinson's and is doing very well. Yeah. Uh, so Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, uh, anorexia, obesity, uh, dystonia, all kinds of different things. And we can touch on those things. Great. So that's what we'll talk about in the next show. Uh, we'll wrap it up now. Um, thanks, Doug, for explaining uh, a lot of what uh, you're struggling with right now. And that's all I have for, uh, for this show. Uh, we've gone on a little bit long. Um, uh, you, you have anything, anything to say before we shut down? No, I uh, look forward to uh, our next podcast with great aplomb. Plum. Don't even really know what that means, I but know. I like plums. <laughs> I like plums and peaches and those kind of nectar. I like, so I thought I would use that word. I liked Eve Plum. Eve Plum. Well, we'll get into her in the next show as well. I don't know who that is. Excellent. <laughs> but, but no. Well done. Thanks, Ed. All right. Well, thank you. And that is the end of our podcast. <laughs>